0: Luke chapter 2. And I know you immediately go, Luke chapter 2, if you know your Bible. Oh man, pastor got it wrong. We don't have Christmas yet. <laughs> uh, I know, it'll be getting there. May I, I shock you this morning when I tell you Jesus actually was not born December 25th? So just that you know, it's, it's nothing wrong with December 25th. It's just another day. Are we going to get together and worship that? because he was born. And how many of you have to say that is a reason to celebrate? Okay, and I know some of you maybe be a little bit more on the legalistic side and and say, no, 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 I don't celebrate Christmas because Jesus never said to celebrate his birthday. Well, there's a lot of things Jesus never said, and you do it anyway. (laughs) So you may as well go for it. How about that? Okay, Luke chapter 2. We're going to look this morning at another word, the power of words. And uh, we're going to look at the glory of God. How many of you believe that you know what the glory stands for? Okay, I got a little bit more careful, students here. We're actually going to debone that a little bit and look at it because there's so much stuff which we believe that's actually not in the Bible. And long ago, we learned it in the church. There's so many words which we misunderstand, and then we just put our own spin to it because it kind of makes sense, you know? So, but that maybe doesn't mean exactly what the Word of God actually tells us. Remember, the knowledge of truth will set you free. Not truth will set you free. Oh, no, no. Truth will never set anybody free. The knowledge of truth will set you free. You need to know what truth is. Otherwise, you call a lie a truth, because that's what you believe it is. But it doesn't set you free. It puts you into bondage. So we're going to look at the word glory. And here in chapter 2 of Luke, let's read, begin reading in verse 8. And we can make it all the way to 20. Maybe if you have a pen with you, a pencil, it is not illegal to mark your Bible. So if it's your own Bible, okay, so don't take somebody else's. So and then you just write a mark it or write something to the margin. I got so many Bibles already went through it since I became a... Uh, a follower of Jesus, and they are marked. And one day they're going to go to my son, and he can see how I was thinking when I was reading it, correct? So here we go. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over the flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned. Glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen, as it had been told them. I'm reading this, and I was just thinking: when brothers and sisters get together, the Lord is in your midst. You know that the Lord is in our midst. When you come to church and not just come to hear something from the pulpit, you actually know when you are together, the Lord is in your midst, and you meet up with the Lord. He knows your attitude, he knows what you think, what you say, what you don't say. He knows everything. He's right here. And then when you hear good news, something that really transforms your thinking, and then you go out into the lobby, and you may want to take a CD with you, and that's all great, and share it with somebody else or That's wonderful. That's ministry. But then when you go to the second door out, let's go and have lunch, and we forget everything. Nothing with lunch, by the way. But the way we do things, these shepherds, they found out that what they heard is actually true. And then they didn't just go back among the sheep and saying we're not going to tell anybody like so many Christians do. They actually went out and the Bible says they returned glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen. In other words, when you go to an after after service to your lunch place, you should be still glorifying and praising God. What an awesome God we serve! Then the plate shows up, and then we say, "I hope nobody sees us." Amen. And then we eat because we're afraid that somebody could see that we actually want to be glory and praise to God. That's pretty down to earth, isn't it? So obviously the word we're focusing this morning on is glory. It's found hundreds of times in the Bible. It's not a word which we normally use in our conversations, you know, going along the food. And I know some of you are already hungry, but just forget about it for now. When we get the the meal served and it comes to our table, we're not going to say, wow, glory to the cook. Look at that good smelling food I get here. That's not a word we use in our regular conversation, do we? In other words, it's not in our daily vocabulary. So, what does it mean? By the way, the word glory is actually not a Hebrew word, nor a Greek word. It's a Latin word. Gloria. Gloria, Gloria in excelsis deus. It's all Latin. And I wonder sometimes if you maybe use that word in order to hide something, not intentionally, but it's, you know, I grew up in a church where the masses were done in Latin and I didn't understand a bone of it, nothing. But I felt good, I went. But I didn't understand anything. So, what does it mean, glory to God in the highest? If you look at this story, And the glory of the Lord shone around them, around the shepherds. So that doesn't tell us what the glory is. It just says what it looks like. That's what they saw. It doesn't give us a definition of it. They just saw light. That's all they saw. Obviously, it was dark, and what do you expect? It lights up. Another thing Luke is telling us about the glory of the Lord is, and they, that's the shepherds, were filled with great fear. That doesn't tell us what the glory of God is. That tells us how the reaction was to what they saw. So we still don't get the glory. So let's go to, I give you a few uh, scripture verses. We take it all from the word of God and look at that word glory. Let's go to Psalm 19, verse 1. The heavens declare what? The glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. So the heavens, here is not just that the heavens light up, but now it says when you go outside, I don't know how many of you ever do every often do that. I'm an early goer early in the morning. If it's a clear sky, it is absolutely beautiful. I have all the lights on my little property turned off. And I go up to the barn. And there are millions of stars every time there is no cloud. Millions of stars. And God is my witness. Every time when I look up there, I go, Lord, you are so awesome. Amen. You created that just for us. And you show us your glory to everything that lights up up there. That's what the psalmist says. So glory has nothing to do with holiness. has nothing to do with oh, there is kind of a halo around something, has nothing to do with that. Because the creation itself declares the glory. Simply being there tells us what a glorious God we have. So then we go, okay, that's a physical reality which we can see, which God did. Why? Because it's God's handiwork. God did it. Let's go to First Corinthians. The apostle Paul is writing in chapter 10, verse 31. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all to what? Glory. To the glory of God. Well, that has nothing to do with light shining from us or emanating from us. That has nothing to do with the reaction of great fear. We enjoy the food. That has nothing to do with us declaring the glory of God. He simply says, do it all to the glory of God, so now I hope you get the picture here. It's, it's going to be a little bit easier as we go along because what Paul is thinking here is we are thankful for God's goodness, we are giving glory to God because we are thankful for what God provides. How many of your parents have raised children, and you know, if you give something to the children that is really valuable for them, and you That's why you give it to them, and after three minutes, they toss it. And you obviously say, this is so wonderful. You finally made up your mind about that chunk. Is that what you go, or what do you say to the children? Don't you at least say thank you? Because it does dishonor the parents when the children are not thankful for what they get. It does dishonor God when the children of God are not thankful for what God has given. We are diminishing God's glory by unthankfulness. Do you get the point? This is why it's so important when you raise children, the children will not serve the Lord the way they have to if you let them get away with all these things. And then you wonder why they become radicals once you send them to the universities. They will never be thankful. I could make a whole sermon out of that, but it's not the topic. So let's do one more. You got that one. Now let's do one more. Romans 3.23. How many of you know that verse? Very well. What does Paul say in Romans? For all have sinned and fall short Of the glory of God. Always the same word. To fall short of the glory of God he means there is a very specific purpose and a destiny God has for you and me. And whatever we do, whenever we do something that doesn't fulfill the purpose or is going towards that destiny, we do not bring glory to God. We fall short of the glory of God. Well, let me say it this way, whenever you and I think we are going to advance God's kingdom with our own plans, and then go to God and ask him to bless our stupidity, God will say no, because we will fall way short of the glory of God, and things do not work out the way God wants it. How many of you firmly believe that God has a very specific purpose for you and me? Very individual. How many of you believe you have messed it up many times and went wayward? We all do. This is when we fall short of the glory of God. Because when we will be 100% in the purposes of God and only do what God tells us to do, we will bring glory to God every time. And every time we do our own thing, even when we think it is absolutely biblical, how many of you have ever thought it's biblical, only to find out later on it was me? we fall short of the glory of God. You can tell now that word glory takes a little tiny bit of different meaning, doesn't it? Than what you may have come in with when I said, okay, let's look for glory to God. So now, we just looked at four different texts taken out of the word of God, all dealing with God's glory. Shining clouds, heavens, stars, clouds pointing towards the glory, honor, reputation, connected with what we get from the Lord, be it food or whatever, and then living up to the purpose and the final destiny God has for you and me and falling short of the glory. So, what is it? Confused yet? What is it? See, sometimes we think, okay, let's go to and Google it in. As a matter of fact, that's just what I did this week. I could not believe what I found. And I thought, I want to put a few quotes up for you, but it's not worth your time. It is unbelievable how many religious answers I got out of that. So after about a half an hour, I thought, Lord, please forgive me for wasting that time. I should go back to your word, which I did. So, in the Hebrew, the word translated glory is kavod. Can you say that? Kavod, for those of you Wednesday night, all the Hebrew scholars. Kavod. Okay, the literal meaning of this word is heaviness or weight. And he said, what you just told me doesn't even make sense. Well, that's God, so you take it up with him. I can prove to you that the Hebrew word is what's translated glory every time, heaviness or weight. Let me give you a story from the Bible. You find it in 1 Samuel. God raised up a young boy by the name of Samuel. And mom dedicates that boy, and mom and dad dedicate that boy, that he should serve the Lord for the rest of his life. So they bring him over to the high priest at that time by the name of Eli, who was not the best dad himself. Hophni and Phinehas were his two sons, and he was sitting in Shiloh. That's where the Ark of the Covenant was, or the Ark of God, what they called it at that time. And there was a battle going on between the Philistines and the Israelites. And so the Philistines, the first day they got out, they slaughtered 4,000 Israelis, Hebrews. They just killed them. They got very nervous and they said, the reason why the enemy of God is having so much success is because we don't have the presence of the Lord in our midst. So let's go and get the Ark of the Covenant, and boom, these two sons, run home because nobody else but the priest or then could actually carry the Ark without getting killed. And so these two guys go into the battle on the Israelite camp is shouting for joy. God is here, God is here. How can we not win with God in our midst, correct? So obviously the Philistines go, whoops, uh, why are they so excited? Oh, the Ark, okay, let's not be afraid of them, let's not be afraid of them. They go to war, and sure enough, the Philistines capture the Ark. And they killed Phineas and Hovni. These are the two sons of Eli. So Benjamin turns back to Eli, tells Eli what just happened at the battlefield. Eli was an old man. 1 Samuel chapter 4 18. Let's see what glory that happened. Eli fell backward of his chair by the side of the gate. So he was in a chair. His neck was broken and he died. He was an old man and he had come out. He had a lot of overweight. He was a very heavy, and your Bible probably translates that as a heavy man. Correct. They got it right. What would you say if they would have said, and he had a lot of glory, and you go, come on, look at this man. He was not the best priest, and he, no, he had a lot of covert. He had a lot of weight. Then you go to judges. And here, the Israelites were in trouble again. This time, the Moabites were after them. You know, how many of you know they're constantly at war with one another? So, the Moabites were after them. And so, eventually, the, the Israelites had enough. And there was a man by the name of Ehud. He, the Bible says he was a left-hander. Have you ever wondered why the Bible says he was a left-hander? Because assassins in those days, they had a dagger always on the side of the inside Uh, pen and stuck it in there for battle because all the other weapons they had to carry, but they had a last effort was the dagger. So obviously everybody had it on the left side leg because they were a right-hander to go get it. Ehud was a left-hander, so where did he have it? On the right leg, inside. So when they went to visit a king or an enemy commander, They normally patted him down right away. Oh no, nothing there. So Ehud escapes. He goes into the chamber of Eglon, that's the king of the Moabites, and he takes the dagger out and sticks it into his belly. And here's what it says. We find it in Judges, chapter 13, 12 to 22, you can actually read it. It says that the dagger went into his belly, So deep, and he was so full of covert that the dagger could not be pulled out. The fat covered it, and it stayed inside, and Ehud escaped. How many have to say, that's not a shiny thing. That was weight. The man was way overweight, and you can read it for yourselves. So that's what the Bible says. So now obviously you say, okay, what do we learn out of that? This is the way you should study the Bible. Well, then ask yourselves a question. So what is it? A shiny star? A shiny angel? God's creation? Or is it just fat? What is it? That's what makes the Bible interesting when you go to the root word and find out. Because you can use Kavod also as a metaphor. The Bible is full of metaphors. And it is there where most Christians, when they read the Bible and don't have a, a real good handle on the word, reading what they read and interpreting the way they want to interpret it and come up with the entirely wrong conclusion. Well, but it says so, well, it might be a metaphor. Let me give you an example David. King David was the greatest king the Israelites ever had. And so he's in Jerusalem, and he's ruling and reigning in that city, which he captured from the Jebusites. God told him, I'm going to put my name here forever. All of a sudden, family turmoil. His very son, Absalom, is staging a coup against his father. He takes some of the best soldiers and David turns about it. David had to flee his palace and his beloved city, which he built for the glory of God. Absalom was after him. David goes into the desert and this is what the psalmist says in Psalm 7. That's David speaking in verse 5. The enemy pursues my soul and overtakes it. And he tramples my life to the ground... And lays my cove in the dust. He doesn't say David was a fat man. What is David talking about? He expresses his dire situation. Before Absalom started his coup, David had weight through all the things he conquered. When he he spoke as a king, there was weight behind it. He had a reputation. He had an honor as a king. And Kavod is representing that in a metaphorical way. And he says, I had to flee and all my reputation and all my honor and all my splendor is in the dust. In other words, I lost it all. So let's go back quickly to the glory of God, that he would cover I'll give you a few examples where we can learn from the Bible what that stands for. Literally, heaviness and weight. We looked at a few examples. Metaphorically, it's importance, reputation, and honor. That's what that stands for. So a personal covert is something like wealth and possession. Could also mean the physical manifestations of someone's importance. Let's stop right there for a second. I don't know if you ever had that experience. We are common people. We work for a living. We haven't grown up with a silver spoon or a gold spoon in our mouth, correct? So let's say, how many of you love some sports heroes? Let me see your hands. How many of you would like... You've got to be honest, come on. You're in the house of God, remember? God is sitting right next to you. You can't lie. (laughs) So how many of you would like to see, if you love sports, would like to see your sports here in person and say hi, and appreciate all the things you do. How many of you would like to see that? Okay. If you would enter into the room, and let's say your favorite quarterback is there, one and a half foot taller than you, and uh, just getting into that presence, you can feel and sense the weight That that person carries. You can feel it. I've experienced that once in my life. I was a soccer fan all throughout my years. And uh, for those of you who may be a little bit older, you don't know what I'm talking about. But Brazil was winning the world championship twice in a row at that time. And the person who shot most of the gun was the most brilliant player. His name was Pele. So I was in Brazil playing music, and they put me uh, up in the Sheraton by the Copacabana. That's on the north edge of the Copacabana. And I think nothing, but I have to go and play music that evening, and I walk into the lobby, and I look up towards the front, and I saw Pele standing there. What a coincidence, correct? I immediately recognized the guy because I had a poster of him in my bedroom. (laughs) How could I not recognize him? I idolized the guy. So I'm on my heart goes, brrrrr, correct? Well, the guy doesn't know me from Adam. He's a world-famous soccer player. And he had a few people around him, women and men, probably belong to his entourage. And somehow, I had the guts to go up to him and say, Are you Mr. Pilley? And he had the biggest grin on his face, he said, Yeah. I said, I love the way you play. You're such a phenomenal player. You're my idol. I, I mean, and he grabs me, isn't that tall. He grabs me and I get a picture with him. Right in the lobby. That is what it means you're standing in the cavat of a person which has a reputation of major significance. No comparison to our God. But he gives you a little bit a picture. I know all of you are holy. That means so separated that you would never do that. (laughs) Really? If I will get into your house, I might find a lot of stuff where you put kavod on it. How many would have to say, yeah, you probably will find some. I find hats and jackets and posters and you name it. I see some kavod everywhere, you know. There's nothing wrong with that as long as we don't worship that stuff. Do you understand that? But this is what the Bible calls kavod. This is where a physical manifestation of one's importance all of a sudden shows up. Or when I have a poster in my room, I am reminded that man has accomplished some incredible things, or that woman for that matter. Or how many of you have ever walked to a very expensive neighborhood? Not in Iowa, we don't have that. But uh, if you would go to New York or you would go to San Francisco, where we used to live for 15 years, just outside, you will find some mansions. They are $20, $30 million just for starters. And they have, they have neighborhoods totally manicured. It's unbelievable. And you go, wow, who is living here? These people have covered. They have a physical presence, that they are important, they have money and wealth. And you say, but that's not what the Bible says. Oh, let me give you an example. King Hezekiah, king of Israel. He's a man, well, he's a great, great, great grandson of King David. He had immense riches. So much so that when representations, the king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem, he showed him everything he had, remember? He was so proud of all the things he had. Nobody in the Middle East had more than he had. So in 2 Chronicles chapter 32, verses 27 to 28, this is what it says. King Hezekiah had immense riches and what? Kavot. And that doesn't mean he was fat. He made for himself treasuries for silver, gold, precious stones, spices, shields, and all kinds of valuable articles, storehouses also for the produce of grain, wine, and oil, pens for all kinds of cattle and sheep for the flocks. How many would have to say that guy had wealth? And when he spoke, people were listening. There was nothing in the world he could not buy with the wealth he had, he had weight. That's Kavod. He had weight. So, and the question obviously is, why is all this so important for us to understand? It's just a word. Who cares? Because the biblical writer wants you to know that Kavod describes the reality of the physical weight, wealth, possession, and importance, or reputation, or honor of people on this earth And this is all man made. What about God? What about God? Who made everything? Do you get how much weight, cavode we put towards what man made? Well, this is awesome. We might hear one of the greatest musical pieces, the greatest composers ever did. And we are in awe and say, whoa. And that awe, on that reputation and that weight of the music, we go, now that is real cavode." Or we may see an incredible building an architect designed. Or we go, wow, who in the world designed that? I shared with a person the other day, I said, in Lucerne, my hometown, they decided one day to make a new, what they call Kunsthaus, which is an art building where all arts are being presented. I played their music many, many times. Beautiful, beautiful building. Now, they built a brand a new one, cost them I don't know, a half a billion dollars, billion. And they made it in such a way that no microphone is needed, and you can have 5,000 people entertained. It's acoustically designed in such a way that in the smallest corner of that building you can hear the violin playing on the front. Now, there were architects at work who had cavot. They were from all over the world, by the way. M- magnificent. You look at this and you go, wow, what about God? What about God? Now you start to understand the glory which belongs to God. All the things I just mentioned to you about kavod is nothing compared to what God gets. So, the entire reality, and I'm speaking reality, of God's creation is God's kavod. That's what the biblical writer tells us. Sometimes people tell me, how could you have left Switzerland? What in the world is wrong with you? Don't you know Switzerland is beautiful? Yeah. God gave us a lot of mountains and a lot of crazy people. But what about, how many of you have ever visited all 50 states in the United States of America? I'm almost there. I'm missing a few. But this country has God's kvotos. Like very few countries in the world, there are so many incredible things God has created. You look at the Canteton and you look the way God did it. You look, go over to the Great Lakes and you look at the Great Lakes. You look down the Mississippi and you see how incredible God has done that. You go to the Cant Canyon and you go, wow, look at this. Now, this is a monumental work. And I know the scientists will tell you how God did it. Oh, no, they think nature, modern nature. Listen, there's no modern nature. I tell you that right now. But there's a God who creates all things and controls all things. And this is when we see these things, we go, wow, this is God's kavod on display. This is not spiritual unseen stuff. This is what God did for you and me to see. And then we send things into space, and people told for thousands of years, there is nothing out there except a the few stars God hang up there. So you had just enough light to get along. And then we see there are billions of galaxies. And that's all reality. Gods covered. So, let me show you another way of looking at Kavod in the Bible. Go with me to Psalm 8. We're going to read 3 to 8. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man, that's you and me, that you are mindful of him? And the Son of Man, that you care for him. Think about that question. Let that sink in. The psalmist says, God, compared to the incredible creation, the reality of your creation, which we can actually see with our own eyes. This is awesome. And you did that all, and then I look at these creatures on two legs crawling around the floor, making each other's life miserable. Why are you mindful of those creatures? Why don't you just go, it's another ant, forget them. Why are you mindful of them? He gives us the answer. Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings. Yes, there are heavenly beings. Heavenly means spiritual. They are on this earth. But invisible to the naked eye, and you count him the human being, listen with kavod and honor. You count the human being, it doesn't say only those who do God's work, there is no distinction. Between the one who is a Buddhist, the one who is a a Muslim, the one who is a Hindu, the one who is an atheist, or the one who is a Christian. There's no difference. The psalmist says, and you crown him with kavod and honor. The difference between all the things I just said is what they do with it. Every human being, the minute, as we were looking at last Wednesday, in the Wednesday study, when there is the spark of life at conception, it is a human being crowned with glory. It sets the human being apart from every other creation. Sorry, Mr. Darwin, it's just not working. The psalmist is not done yet. He says, God crowned him. Crowned him. Not just give it to him, crowned him with kavod and honor. How many of you would have to say, this is a very high view God has of his creation called humankind? It's not what we always hear in the churches. We are miserable, fallen, rebellious creatures who deserve nothing. That's what we hear a lot. Would you read that once again? For me? How does God look at his creation? Just saying. How does God look at the creation? He crowned you and me with glory. Do we deserve any of that? But that's how God looks at it. Listen, if we will be worthless creatures, God the Father would never have invented a plan to rescue us and bring us back into his family. We are the highest creation God has ever made. We say, well, but it says we're a little bit lower than the angelic beings, the Elohims. For now. Read your Bible, finish. It will change because of our brother, Jesus Christ. He crowned us with glory. The question is, so, God honored us and how do we know? How do we know that that's true? How do we know that that means glory? Well, let's read on. Same psalm. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. How many have to say That's a lot of glory. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet. Think about that. The birds of the heavens and the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the seas. You have given it all to that creation you call human beings. And that's how you count him with glory. They are unique, those creatures called humans. They're distinct of the rest, distinctly different than the rest of creation. Listen, human beings do not just exist in this environment called Earth. We are actually recreating and creating things for God's glory. Human beings are doing things no other species can do. Just for starters, we create cities, infrastructures. I know you say, well, ants do that too. I know communication devices, we create a lot of stuff. I know we all take God's material, but nevertheless, creativity is the very proof that there is a creator. It's always my favorite discussion among scientists. They so, said, well, you know, I don't believe in God. I said, you obviously are absolutely a worthless eater on this planet. What did you just say? Because obviously you have no creativity in you. Well, that's what I do for a living. I, I study and then we create things for the betterment of human beings. I said the very word creation demands a creator and you are not it. It's that simple. We have been endowed with creativity because we are made in his image. That's what it is. And it's, it's a view which you and I need to understand. God gave us rulership over everything he created. Let me ask you a question. How many of you as parents, if you have four or five kids or whatever you have, you gave absolute rulership over every penny you have to your children knowing that they are going to mess it up and spend it? You would go, no way. Ouch. You know what the Heavenly Father does? He's so all-powerful, all-wise, all-loving. And he said, I can give it to my wayward children. I made them. I made them, and I crowned them with glory, and when they mess it up, I got the power to correct it. Think about it. I'm not saying that you should do foolish things with your kids. I'm just telling you that God is a little bit different than you and I. Because, listen, when God crowned us with kavod and gave us that responsibility, that doesn't mean that every human being takes that and makes good out of it. The world is filled with people who take that very kavod and turn it into something destructive—to demolish families, to destroy other human beings—you name it. You could have a whole list. The history of humankind is not good, and it's because the people account with God's kavod have taken things and interpreting it their own way. That's why you got the. True in the garden where God says, do not partake of that fruit. It's a met- met- metaphor. If you are going to question my goodness and what I have crowned you with, you are going to redefine what is good and what is evil. Sure enough, that's what they did. What the nachash in the garden, that's the human creature or that uh, crit- crit- uh, Elohim creature showed up and said, Did God really say, listen, whenever you question God, you are going to redefine what good and evil is? Because indirectly what you're going to tell God is, you know, I really don't care what you say, I'm going to make my own interpretation. This is why I say you never have to worry about it if you make it to heaven or end up in hell. You never have to worry about that. Because if you have not surrendered your life to Jesus and you don't want Him to be your ruler, you don't want to be in heaven. Heaven is where He rules. You don't want to be in His kingdom. If you live down here on earth and you don't want to be in His kingdom, you dare don't want to go into His kingdom when you leave this earth. You want to stay in the kingdom where you call the shots, where you have defined what's good and what's evil. That's what hell is all about. That's what the Bible says. You need to be careful not to call all of a sudden what God says good, you call evil. And what God calls evil, you call good. You are now taking that kavod, that glory, which God has put upon you, connected with all the things he's given you, and now turn it into something for your own advantages, despite the fact that God said not to do it. You do have the right. You have the freedom you will actually make that decision yourselves where you're going to spend eternity. This is what God meant in Genesis when he said, let us make man in our image. In our image. After our likeness. This is where he said, "Let let them have dominion. See, and the psalmist asked the question, how can you even think that we we, as human beings, can actually take that kavod and make something good out of it. And the answer is, all those who submit to me and come to me, yes. Because it's not them, I will do it through them. God gave all of us the opportunity to choose what we want to choose, good or evil, to define good and evil according to his word, or we redefine it. That's our choice. Now, here comes Jesus in the picture. You remember we started with his birth announced? Let's go to the Gospel of John, chapter 17. I have many times, over and over, repeated that the Bible does not make sense to anyone unless you know the whole narrative of the Bible. When Jesus is coming to the end of his 33 and a half year lifespan on this earth. He's praying to the heavenly father and the disciples are listening as he prays. He's still in the upper room with them. And he prays. And in chapter 17, verses 1 to 5, when Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Listen to that. Glorify your son. That the son may glorify you. Since you have given him authority over all flesh. Does that sound like dominion? The very things which we have abused as human beings. Jesus says, Father glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you, since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth. Here we're going to learn how do we glorify God. How do we use the covenant for the goodness and the praises of God. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. Early on, we can stop there. In the Gospel of John, we'll find out the disciples come to him and said, what is the work of God? What is it? How are we going to do it? And Jesus said, what? Do believe what the Father tells you. Just do it. Not your own own stuff. I always say, people in the ministry are burning out left and right because it's all their own plans. For that, by the way, is for you too. You're in the ministry. Did you know that? You may not stand behind the pulpit, but you are in the ministry. And there are so many Christians that burn out left and right. And then Satan will come to you and say, you know, if you just try a little harder, if you just try a little harder, get up earlier, spend an hour, you know, I only spend half an hour, I need to spend an hour, where did God ever say you have to spend an hour? I never tell my wife, if you want to show that you love me, spend an hour with me a day. She would say that's never enough. And rightly so. We don't spend an hour with the Lord, and then that thing of the day is over. Now, let's go into the world and do our own thing. That's abusing kavod. Do you know when you get up in the morning, God is already there waiting for you? If you notice it or not, if you know it or admitting it, God is always... You cannot shove God away. Have you ever read that God is omniscient? Everything you think, everything you say, everything you do, everything you type, everything you post on social media, God knows everything. That's why we should ask ourselves always first, Lord, is that you or is that me who wants to do this? What is it? Or do I redefine your work you've given me and I do my own thing over here? That's an entirely different lifestyle. And the church in America, as a matter of fact, in the whole Western world over the last 200 years, lost totally sight of that. Totally. I have over and over gone back to the Bible and I'm more convinced than ever the churches, as a whole are a bunch of legalists who want to put others in a manipulative way to think the way the leadership does. And we need to stop that nonsense. We need to go back and just Ask God to lead us. He's the one who gave us the He He's the one who gave us the uh, dominion mandate. He's the one who guides us and directs us. And we are his children. And we need to step away from all the stuff that puts us back into bondage. And there's a freedom common which I experienced myself. There's a freedom common that you don't care anymore what the world is doing. You care everything what God is doing in the world. It's his world, by the way. And you and I are his representation on this earth. You don't go on Sunday to church and say, well, I give him an hour. Oh, man, preacher, you preached way too long. It's already an hour. Forget about it. Shut it down, man. I need to get going. That means you have a compartment, Sunday morning compartment. I've done, check it up. I've been in church. God, do you see that? That should be sufficient for you. Shut up for the rest of the week. I have business to do. That's not the way God works. God builds relationships. We are with him in the business of using kavod for one another's glory. Look what Jesus said. Father, the glory which I have to you, glorify me with it again. Look, he said, I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. What is Jesus really after? Come out. That's what he's after. The glory. And listen what he says. And I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. See that? I have manifested them. In verse 9, if you drop down to verse 9, you find out, he says, I am praying for them. I'm not praying for the world as a whole, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine. And listen, and I am glorified in them. Those who take the covenant for. God's purposes, and we fulfill the purpose God has given us in our life. He said, and I am glorified in them. Jesus is not glorified by us being as busy as heck, trying to do things everywhere our own way. He's only glorified if we do what he has purposed us to do. They will glorify me when you do that. Top down to verse 22. How many of you have to say? These are the last words before he goes to the cross. They must be important. Verse 22. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them. That they may be one, even as we are one. Do you see that the glory of God is represented and expressed in this world By we are being one. Or let me say it this way. Wherever there are divisions and backbiting and gossiping exists. You are not glorifying God. You are abusing the covert. You put weight on your opinion. Not on God's ultimate purpose. To be one in him. A big responsibility. A huge responsibility. Won't you say, if the church would be one, and that can be people with all kinds of different little pet peeves what they believe in. You know? Should I baptize them forward, backwards, whatever? This is not the issue. How many times do I have to go to church? That's not the issue. The issue is, could we be really turning the world upside down if God's people would be one? Question demands and answer. What do you think? Yes. Absolutely. Whose fault is it that the world is not being turned upside down for the gospel? Abusing God's kavod. We have it. Friends, we have it. But do we use it for our own glory? It's not something we lose. He has crowned us with it. We have it. May we as well use it for his glory. Let us bow and pray. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you. Thank you for giving us every day that little notch which we all need to let go of all the things that just holds us in bondage. Our minds are so saturated with things you have never said or never meant. And that we hold on for dear life, thinking that gives us life. But you said, even we search the scriptures. And we think in them we find life. But then we refuse to come to you. Lord, may all of us, yes, we do search the scriptures. And you said that the Holy Spirit will open our eyes to the truth. But may he bring us always back to you where we belong. May we have fellowship with you. Live in your very presence every day. Don't have a Christian moment and then a pagan moment, but just, Lord, we are representing you. You have crowned us with your glory. May we give it back to you in every action we take, in everything we say and do. We can glorify you and you alone. In Jesus' name we pray. All God's people can say, Amen.